open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Now, uh, I don't know if Dan told you this, but as we uh, were planning out what what he would uh, be preaching on when I left, I said, Dan, think about what you might want to do, and I'll think about what might be some good, something good, and um, then we'll put our heads together and see what we come up with. And when we got back together, we both had the book of Philippians um, as what would be appropriate for a time period, but also as a book to reflect on and, and work through the entire book. And, and just to remind you, this is Paul's favorite group of people. I mean, he's planted a lot of churches. This is the group that he loves the most. And really the theme of Philippians, if you want to put it in a something catchy, is Pilgrims Make Progress. Pilgrims Make Progress. Now, perhaps you've read Pilgrims Progress. Um, perhaps you've been on a pilgrimage. Anybody? Anybody? Just checking. Just checking. Um, but it's, it's how you go from the start of faith to um, filling your mind with the things of God's Word, to growing in grace, to living out grace. This is the walk of the Christian life. This is how the pilgrim is to live, going from that spot to that spot. Because if the Lord began the good work in you here, He will what? Bring it to completion in the day of Christ. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And we'll I'll read from Philippians chapter 4. Our Heavenly Father, come upon us, uh, we pray with your Holy Spirit, that we would have understanding that our eyes would be open clearly to what it says here, Lord, and that it would not be something that we would tuck away, but something that we would tuck away in our hearts, that our lives would be lived differently because of it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So today will be chapter 4, verses, mm, I don't know, we'll read the the whole chapter, and then next week we'll, we'll do the second portion of the rest of the chapter. So verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through, through Him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
be with your spirit. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Here in Philippians, at Philippi, we have a church that is remembered for remembering. Because they remembered Paul in some of his toughest circumstances, in some of his greatest needs, they remembered. As I said, this is Paul's favorite group of believers. And when he was in financial need, they worked to meet that need. This is an example of compassion, of stewardship, of simply of love for the gospel. That's what they have demonstrated here. Paul took the gospel to the church at Philippi or to the Philippians uh, during his first missionary journey. He was their first pastor, the one who delivered them the words of life of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They loved Paul. They were interested in his work long after he left them and moved on to his next work. Paul was working in Thessalonica, which is not that far away from Philippi, and the Philippians heard that Paul was in need. So, they took a collection for him, and they sent it off to him. Later they heard he was in need again. What they do? They took up another collection and sent it off to him. Later in Paul's missionary work, the Philippians heard he was in need again. And this would be 2 Corinthians 11 probably. We see that the Philippians probably offered Paul money, a, a collection, but his needs were met in other places. Now... In his letter, they learn that he's in prison and he lacks everything. Because if you were in a Roman prison, uh, you might get fed, you might not get fed. You really needed somebody who would look after you, maybe even a source of income that you could pay for your own food. Prison was not like it is today. Um, it was a very nasty place. And although Paul may have been under house arrest here, he was still obviously... Um, chained uh, to two guards. Now, how would you like to have been one of those guards that had to be chained to Paul? Here you got the greatest evangelist the world has ever known, and you have to sit next to him eight hours a day and hear about this Jesus. You know, because what would you do if, if you had the opportunity? You're in prison for the gospel of Christ, and here you have a captive audience. So that's what Paul was doing. He was letting them have it in love, of course, in love. Uh, Paul says, you've sent me a gift uh, through pa Epaphroditus. I'm, I'm overjoyed. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Not that I was looking for the gift. Paul says, I wasn't out there hunting for a gift, but I'm looking for what might be credited to your account. Credited to your account. That is their account before the Lord. See, in Paul's mind, the gifts that he received were evidence of the growing faith of the church at Philippi, and they were given as a sacrifice to the Lord and for the purpose of His glory. So, three things we need to remember about this, just to start. The first thing is that it is always humbling to be in the presence of generosity. It's always humbling to be in the presence of generosity. And generosity is not just about a large gift. It's about a sacrificial gift here in Philippians. That's what it's about. Paul was never personally rich. Now, he says, I've learned to, to, to be satisfied in abundance and in nothing. Well, Paul's use of the word abundance is not uh, Herod, King Herod abundance. It's just having everything that he needed. 
But the church at Philippi, they had nothing. They, as they were exceedingly poor, but they were also exceedingly generous in their poverty. And this is what makes Paul so rejoice to such an extent. It's as if this way, um, here you are and you really have nothing, but you have a mattress. So what do you do? You stash whatever you can stash away in your mattress for the rainy day. And you hear about Paul and Paul says, and, and Paul's writing a letter and, and the word comes that Paul's in need. So everybody at the church of Philippi goes to their secret stash in the mattress, empties it out and sends it off to Paul. And they do it with hearts that rejoice. And then they hear again that Paul's in need, and all that they've stashed away in their mattress a second time, they pull out, and they send it off to Paul, and they do it with great joy. Because Paul's our brother in Christ, and he's doing this great work, we need to support him. They sought the glory of the Lord. Even when Paul was in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was as poor as Philippi was, Thessalonica was wealthy. But the people at Thessalonica did not support Paul in ministry. The way he stayed in ministry in Thessalonica was because of the church at Philippi. The poor people provided for the church there at Thessalonica. Now, Paul says, I'm, I'm excited because I, it, it is accredited to your account. If you have... Uh, if it's a pew Bible, you can read verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And then there's that little word in italics off to the side that says fruit. So profit and fruit would be words, uh, either word could fit in that instance. So think of other things that are fruits of what we do in the Christian life. When you share the gospel to someone, that is a fruit of the Christian life. Whether, it, whether you're planting, watering, fertilizing, or harvesting, it is a fruit. It is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Um, when you serve in a capacity that you expect nothing in return, serve in Christ's name, that is a fruit. Um, when you give to others here, it is called a fruit. So Paul makes it clear that this type of fruit is noticed by God and is desired by the Lord. And Paul is saying that, that when we give, not, not out of our largesse, because the Philippian church did not have any largesse. All they had was poverty. And they gave out of that poverty to Paul. He is experiencing a joy that, that is almost, uh, uh, I don't know how to, uh, other than, than how I started, it is always humbling to be in the presence of generosity. When someone who works so hard gives you a gift and, and you think, how long did they have to save to give me this gift? You know, that is a humbling experience. So the second thing, Paul wants to make sure that they understand that this is not a thank you note with a hidden return envelope in it. Okay? Now, if you support missionaries and you get regular things from them, you know, one of the, the rules of a nonprofit organization is when you send out a note, it always goes with a self-addressed envelope so that you can send something back to them, okay? That's just the way it is. But Paul doesn't have one of those included here. This is not a thank you note with a hint to send more. This is a thank you note saying, oh, I've got plenty. You have been so generous, I have plenty. In fact, you have sent more than enough, more than enough. 
The third thing, and this is really the the crux of, of what Paul is after here. The third thing, he wants to teach the Philippians, and he wants to teach Randy, and he wants to teach everybody here today, is that he wants us to understand what contentment is. What contentment is. Especially the Philippians because of their poverty. Because it's easy to be discontent in poverty and look at the circumstances of the world around you and think, if only, if only, if only I could change this, if only I could make more money, if only I could live differently, I would be happy. And Paul says, I found contentment whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing. Whether they're whipping me or whether I'm presenting the gospel. Whether I'm being stoned whether I'm being secreted out of town uh, because they all want to kill me, whether there's a riot going on, i found to be content in all of those situations. And he's going to give us the secret of that contentment. But you have to stay to the end of the sermon to get it. Okay, So don't don't run off, you'll miss it. So the, the challenge for us is we have to ask ourselves, am I content? Now just think about that. Am I content? In one sentence, could I define my contentment? Could I say where it comes from? Could I say how I got it? Now, if you can't, or if you're one of those people who, who has lacked contentment all your life, you're, you want to be somewhere else than you are, you want to do something else than what you're doing at the moment, and you want to be with someone else than who you are with at that moment because it's got to be better. There's always something more. I've always got to move on. If you lack contentment in that sense, Paul has a word especially for you, especially for you. We're going to look at some of that today and some of that next week as well. So the first thing that we need to understand is that God wants and expects his people to be content. Okay? It's not as if God is out there dragging us along or leading us on, thinking what, what's, what's next, what's next, what's next. No, he says, here it is. I want you to be content in your circumstance, and I'm going to enable you to be content as well. God desires to, for his people to live in a state of contentment. And Paul speaks about the importance of a godly contentment, which is different than a circumstantial contentment. This is a true godly contentment. Look at verse 11 here. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Whatever circumstances I am in. He's commending to the Philippians that the fact that he has learned to be content, they can too, and God wants them to, he wants them to live in that state of contentment. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. For the sake of Christ, I am content. Now, remember the circumstances in which Paul has found contentment. And I mentioned some of those before. He is weak. He's been insulted. He faces hardship, persecutions, calamities. He has been stoned. He's been whipped. He's been persecuted. He's been run out of town. Uh, Every time he hits town, it seems that people either want to kill him, want to put him in prison, or want to shut him up. But Paul says, I'm content in all those things. Imagine that. Go to a room where everybody hates you. Remember Ephesus, okay? 
Ephesus has this amphitheater that sits 25,000 people, and there's a riot in the amphitheater, and they're all yelling for Paul's head. And what does Paul say? He tells his friends, let me go in there and talk to them and reason with them. And they're like, no, Paul, we're getting you out of town. Paul has found contentment, and in that contentment, he finds a lot of strength, a lot of confidence. Paul says, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 1 Timothy chapter 6, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we can't take anything out of the world. The author of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The author of Hebrews is not saying you can't be rich and content. He's saying you can't be content if the love of your life is the dollar. You'll just never find contentment because you'll never have enough. Paul says, I've had lots and I've had nothing. And I'm content in both of those. So what is the nature of contentment? There are three things here for us today. What is the nature of contentment? Again, verse 11. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. The key word there is learned. Oh, I thought I would just get it when I got saved. I I figured that once I was saved, I would just be content and everything would be glorious. No. Paul says, I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, to be content. Paul had to learn this. Now, now think of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, on and on. Every believer has all of those. And you think, well, I didn't get any patience. So maybe, maybe the Lord missed that portion. No, you got patience too. How do you learn to have your patience grow? Your patience is tried. That's how you get more patience. How do you learn to be gentle? Maybe you're just not a gentle person by nature. Maybe you never, you're, you were raised in a family that wasn't gentle, and, and you're just not gentle. How do you learn to be gentle? You are challenged by events in your life that cause you to decide, am I going to respond in a gentle or kind fashion, or am I going to respond the way that my flesh wants me to respond? Am I going to be patient? Am I going to stand in this line because that's the only way I can do it? Or am I going to try to cut in line? Or am I going to try to make a stink and embarrass people so that they'll move out of my way? No, you learn to be patient. Same thing here. Paul learned contentment out of his experiences that he faced. The second thing is you learn contentment because it is not an innate Christian experience. Paul on the road to Damascus. There he is, Saul on the road to Damascus. Christ is revealed to him. He is blinded. He goes off. And and in that that moment where his entire life has changed to such an extent that he is given a new name, did he suddenly learn contentment? Was that one of the gifts that he was given? No. He was given grace. He was given salvation. He was justified. But contentment goes along with the process of sanctification. It is an ongoing process. There's a certain kind of contentment that comes with salvation, where we find that, yeah, the things I have searched for in life, I have found. They have been made complete in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But 
You still have to get up the next day and go out and face the world. And there are a lot of things out there telling you different things, telling you you need to, you, you cannot be content here. You need to strive. You need to do this. You need to do that. And, and you have to learn godly contentment because it is not given to us at the moment of salvation. And you think, well, uh, that's good, Rand, because I'm still struggling with this. I'm really struggling with an understanding of how to be content. That's good. Okay? That is very good. You think, I, I thought I was getting the answer to contentment. And you're telling me it's good to struggle? Yes, it is good to struggle because first you understand that you're not content. Secondly, it, it, you, you have this understanding that to become content in whatever situation you are is a struggle. You've got a bad situation at work. You're in a bad stretch in your marriage. Your kids are, are, are out of control. And you're thinking, Lord, what is going on here? How can I be content in that situation? That tells you that your circumstances are running your life instead of grace running your life. That you're being you're, you're, you're relating, can I be content according to what the world around you does, not according to what the Lord has already done in your life. The third thing, we'll flesh that out some more. The third thing, you're more likely to seek and find real contentment if on this day you say you lack contentment. Now, if you came here and you said, you know what, life is good. I've got a job I love. I've got a family I love. I've got a dog that I love. It's all good. I am fat and happy. Well, where is your contentment found? It's found out there. It's found in your job. It's found in your family. It's found in your dog. It's found that every, in, in everything is going well. That's why you are content. But Paul says what? I've been beat and I've been shipwrecked and I've been stoned and I've been run out of town and I am what? Content. I'm still content in all of those things. But if you're struggling and you say, the, the circumstances in my life are not providing me any contentment. How is it possible that I could find contentment when all these things seem like they're in chaos? You're, you're more likely to go and say, I need my contentment in Christ. I need my contentment, true godly contentment, not circumstantial contentment. It's easy to mistake circumstantial contentment for godly contentment. You think uh, life is good. God must be smiling upon me. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Those who preach what we call the health and wealth gospel, it's poison. It's poison. Because they say God wants you to be healthy and he wants you to be wealthy and in there you will find your joy paul was not healthy paul was not wealthy but he found his joy the philippians were not wealthy but yet they found their joy where not in the circumstances but in christ paul says in everything i am content in everything i have found the capability to rest and be content now, it's certainly possible to have wealth and good health and be content. 
But it's certainly possible to mistake those things for true godly contentment. For true godly contentment. Your contentment doesn't come from things. It doesn't come from people. It doesn't come from service. It doesn't come from adventure or anything else in the world. And conversely, those things cannot stop your true godly contentment. True godly contentment does not rely upon circumstances. There's a book that uh, I had, I gave to somebody. I assume by now that person is very content because they've read it and read it. Um, It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian, Christian Contentment. It's by the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs, and, and it's, it's it, yes, it's a Puritan book, but anybody could pick it up and read it, um, but you read it slowly. You read it over time, and let, you know, you read some and let it dwell in your heart. You read some more and make progress in that way. So let's go to the part that we're waiting for. This is the secret. This is the reveal, okay? This is, this is what it is. This is the secret to true godly contentment. Let's look at verse 11. Again, we seem to be hung up on this, but we get, we'll get there. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. So it, Paul's contentment is not circumstantial. It's not based upon his surroundings. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what has he told us so far? He's telling you that circumstances don't contribute or detract from true godly contentment that he enjoys. The kind of contentment he is talking about does not come from anything external. The secret of contentment is that last verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, heaven forbid that you should misunderstand that verse. It does not say that Randy, the middle-aged, balding minister type, can play power forward for the Lakers next year because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's just not possible. I, I, I'm just, I don't have the ball handling capabilities. Okay, that's it. (laughs) What it is saying is that, Jenkins, anything that I, the Lord, ask you to do, any place that I place you, you can be content and thrive because I am the one who strengthens you there. That's what it is saying. So the secret of contentment is understanding the reality of God's providence. The reality of God's providence. Not just understanding the doctrine in our heads. Yes, you have to understand the doctrine, know about it, hear about it, have it fleshed out in front of you. But it's the doctrine of God in, of, of God's providence embraced by your soul, believed in all that you are, and lived out. When I say God's providence, what I'm talking about is that God provides for us in our lives certain circumstances, certain people, certain events which are for His glory. You think, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know the job that I'm in. You don't know this or you don't know that. How could that be for God's glory? It is God's 
hand of providence in all areas of the believer's life, moving and shaping us and taking us from here over to here, integrating this into our life. It is for His glory. How can I sustain a life of contentment in the midst of all that? It is because it is Christ who strengthens me in the midst of that. That is understanding God's providence. Remember, it's not that you can do anything, but when He puts you somewhere, when He places something in your life, you can be content because it is the Lord's hand of providence shaping our life. If God calls you to go face Goliath, it's because you've been a shepherd for the last 10 or 15 years and you fought off the wolves and the bears with the sling and by now you're pretty good at it. If God calls you to minister to a family who's, who's in chaos because their kids are out of control, you think back and go, well, my kids are out of control too. And this is what I learned. If God calls you into some tough places, it's because in His hand of providence, He has prepared you for those places. And you thought back in those times, you know, I'm just dying on the vine here, Lord. What are you doing? I don't see any purpose for this. And now, ten years later, you go, oh, this is why I went through all that. Suddenly, David goes up and he faces Goliath. He goes, that's why. I was out in those fields night after night after night after night. I thought I was abandoned, but no. The Lord was working in my life, preparing me for what He had. I, Paul says, I've learned the secret. I can, I can do nothing in and of myself, but I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the secret of contentment. And you go, that was it, Rand? Yeah, that was it. Understanding, believing, and living your life with the sure knowledge that God's hand of providence guides us, brings into our lives what we need. The battle we face is getting this into our hearts and living like we believe it, living as if this is the truth, because it is the truth for the believer. The secret of contentment is a deep, personal, doctrinal, experiential embrace of God's hand of providence in our lives. We'll flesh this out even more next week. So let's pray. Lord, we look at your word and, and we think, contentment, can I really have contentment? You don't understand my world. Yes, you, you understand our world very well. Because you have not abandoned us in this world. You are right here with us, holding us in your hand, caring for us bringing into our lives, leading us in certain places, all that we need to, to experience, all that we need to see. And you do so for your glory. You do so so that our lives might be more conformed to the image of Christ and that we can find true godly contentment, not in the circumstances around us, but in Christ, in Christ alone but in your hand, guiding us in all things. In an understanding that we belong to you. You will not give your children stones when they ask for bread. You will give us the peace that passes all understanding. You will provide for us all that we need. It is a learning process. 
It is something that might be difficult for some of us to learn, more difficult than others. But it is how the believer is supposed to live. Lord, fix this in our minds and our hearts so that we can grasp this, so that we can live lives of contentment, the the types that the world does not understand, nor can it outside of the work of Christ in their lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.